Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 129. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. One of the most common characteristics of all my past guests is that they are constantly learning. The best way to learn is from the experts. And with all the books that exist, it's never been easier to surround yourself with these experts, especially with audiobooks. Get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Jeff Benjamin. Jeff, are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> all right, Jeff caught his hospitality bug during boyhood, working as a busboy. His love for the industry brought him to UMass Amherst, where he majored in hospitality business. While working corporate operations in New York City, Jeff met Mark Vetri, and a friendship was formed. In 1998, Jeff was called to join Mark as general manager at uh, Mark's Vetri Restaurant, and uh, after two years, Jeff became partner. Vetri Restaurant has evolved into Vetri Family. This group has now since grown into seven different restaurant concepts and has earned countless accolades. Jeff, this is just a huge aerial view of you and your career. Let me pass it over to you now to kind of tell us about uh, the vision of this restaurant group and your mission and the culture you guys have over there. Well, you make me sound really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, I, I think the vision itself uh which obviously started with me and Mark. We only had eight employees, so it was you know, the vision of a very small group of, of people. It was not an overnight success. I think it was a 17-year overnight success. One of the big things that we've done is say no to a lot more things than we've said yes to. We're mm -hmm. not, uh, we, we didn't set the world on fire by opening up a lot of stuff right away. We actually took nine full years before we even uh, had our second restaurant, which isn't to say that we went into it with the theory that, yeah, we're going to grow this business really big, let's wait nine years. It was, let's enjoy what we do and make sure that every other move we make continues to allow us to enjoy what we do. Mm. So the minute we thought, this may not be so fun or this uh, this challenge is, it, that exists is not one that we can control the destiny on. So, you know, it was really very calculated growth. So just to shed some light on it, in the last year we've added three restaurants. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we purposefully say every concept is nine years. It's every concept needs to be born when it needs to be born. I think that's really cool how you talk about, you know, your early objective was just to make sure you're happy and enjoying what you do. And I think a lot of people, they get sidetracked with, you know, so much on trying to make the money and to grow and grow and grow, and they grow too fast. Do you think that ability to kind of, take your time and to really, you know, make sure you're doing things right to enjoy your what your time in the restaurant. And do you think that kind of contributed to your success, being able to kind of evolve and to uh, learn your, you know, to get that personal growth before you decided to expand? Absolutely. And it's still, it's still part of what we do and who we are. You know, well, having fun is still, uh, if not the number one priority, it's got to be the top three. I think, 
I've often spoken to folks who are either just getting out of a hospitality school or, or getting out of high school want to maybe explore a career in our industry. And, you know, we talk very early on about what their required salary is or what they're, what they're looking to do in the next year or two. And it's, you know, I want to be a GM. I want to make this much money. And by the end of the next couple of years, I want to own my own restaurant. And, you know, at no point in that conversation did they tell me, you know, I really enjoy this business. I love meeting people. I can't wait to meet new people. I really have a lot of fun every night. I wake up in the morning. I can't wait to go to work. Oh, and by the way, I do need to make a living. You know, the folks who have that conversation with me, I generally look at it as, you're going to probably be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, those who come to me and say, well, what's your salary offer? Now, you know, you may or may not be. At some point, they may turn the corner, but if that's their initial right out of the gate, I've never met any uh, anyone who makes uh, a lot of money being self-employed that doesn't enjoy what they do. Mm, I, uh, it just, it doesn't, it's not a good equation. You make such a huge point. It's something I have uh, definitely a, a very common uh, thing that I see happening over and over again on the show is the people that I interview, they, they don't do this for the money. They do it because they can't see themselves doing it, anything else. And they love what they do so much. I mean, they're not chasing the dollar. They're, they're chasing their passion and what they love to do. And they focus on what they love to do that makes them successful. I mean, would you say that's one of the unique things that contributes to what you guys do? It's not about the money. It's not about the you know accolades. It's about doing what you love and being happy. Absolutely. And, and, you know, to your point, it's not really unique. I mean, most of the folks that you've met through your travels have had kind of the same ethos. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I hope that we're getting to the point where it's harder and harder to find that uh, greed as a motivator. Uh, you know, look, don't get me wrong. You should make a good living, and you should make as much money as you can possibly make doing what you do. Mm -hmm. uh, but that should be, a, you know, a secondary or tertiary result of doing what you do for a living. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy knowing that, you know, everything that we've done, all the jobs we've created and all of the new businesses we've created that also benefited me financially. Mm -hmm. All the money in the world, if I had a, a second-rate restaurant concept, you know, mediocre, uh, uh, no accolades, you know, a relatively decent staff instead of phenomenal staff, I, I wouldn't be happy. Mm. I love uh, it. You know, going into work and having, you know, any one of the staff members come up and say, hey, how was your weekend? What are you up to? Haven't seen you all day. What do you, you know, you know, knowing that some of them will count on me for advice, you know, that's, that's important. Mm, I love it. So, Jeff, it said that you, you caught the bug when you were a young guy busting tables. Can you go back in time and think of a specific time when you were young where you knew that this was going to be more than just a job for you and you were going to make this your career? Can you bring us to that moment where maybe something happened that you just instantly knew? Yeah, and I think it was, I think like with most people's careers, there were different kind of moments in time, different milestones. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, the very first milestone was the very first day I ever worked in this industry. Mm -hmm. And God's honest truth, I went to, I had to get a job. And, and uh, um, the only thing you can really do when you're in high school, at least back then, was uh, stuff that didn't take place during the day. So. Mm -hmm. By nature, a restaurant job lent itself to it. Uh, the best restaurant job for me would have been, uh, you know, a catering job so that I could work weekends mm -hmm. and not have to worry about, you know, not doing schoolwork or whatever. Yeah. So I got a job at a catering hall, and I was a busboy. And, you know, 
you think about it, you know, to love the fact that you're, like, cleaning up people's dirty dishes all night long takes kind of a warped <laughs> view of the world. But I got to the job at 9.30 in the morning, and we set up the room, and it was a, probably a wedding, I guess. And we set up the room, it was a great, great affair, and I finished working the job. And my boss said, listen, the, the busboy for the nighttime wedding called out. Is there any chance whatsoever you'd be willing to work a second one? I said, yeah, dude, yeah. I can do that. It's a Saturday night. I'm, like, I'm new in town. I got no friends. <laughs> let me let me work. So I I worked the second wedding. Had a ton of fun. I mean, just enjoyed the vibe. Enjoyed watching all these people have fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it was almost like I was watching through this like uh, telephoto lens. And I got home at four in the morning. So I left my house at nine thirty the previous morning. And I walked to the door, and of course, my parents, being relatively overproductive, were actually awake. Wait a minute. Now, you got to remember, this is pre cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't get to call them and say, hey, I'm sticking around for another shift. Yeah. You know, I, they just assumed I was working, I guess. Okay. And I get home, and they're like, what's going on? I said, I just discovered what it is I'm going to do for a living. Oh, wow. I mean, what was it exactly? What was the one thing? Did I cut you off? Do you, is there, do you want to finish that? No, no. I, you know, I don't know if there was a singular moment or a singular thing, but as I was getting back to my house, I kept thinking how much fun the people were having mm. and that it was because of what I was, like, I, I felt like I was this, uh, one of those walk-on actors, you know, a walk-on role in, yeah. a, in, a, in a play. So I was not the star of the show. But I kept thinking that if I wasn't there, we might have missed a piece of their, a piece of the act, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, like, at this age, at this young age, I could actually play an important role in someone's event. Mm -hmm. So I kept the job, I, and I, you know, I went back every weekend for, for actually the next two years, and never, never fell out of love with it. That's and awesome. I grew up in the Midwest and didn't even realize that hotel, uh, you know, hotel and restaurant management was a was an option in touch. Mm -hmm. But I just moved to the East Coast and, and, and people were saying, oh, you got to you gotta explore that as a major if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be awesome. That's awesome. It is so awesome. So when I found out that UMass had a hotel school, I said, yeah, I'm going to go there. Great. Great. Well, I feel like we got your story now. We find out what makes you tick. We got your the background of how you got into the industry. Now we need to get that motivational and inspirational ball rolling, Jeff. And I'm going to have you do that by sharing a success quote or mantra to really just get that energy going. What do you have for us today? Well, you know, in my, in my new book, uh, um, one of the things I, I point to, and it sounds so cliche and almost hokey, but I always tell all of our new staff members that really in order to be successful, the very first step you got to do is, is you got to be nice. Mm. Right. And, and, and I don't know if you've read the book or not, but, but the reality is I, I learned it by watching the Patrick Swayze movie Roadhouse. And, and I think I already knew it. I think most of us already knew it. But knowing something and then practicing it are two very different things, mm -hmm. right? Tell you know, I, and I think if I said to you, you think it's a good idea to be nice? Your answer is going to be yes. I think 100% of the people I asked that question to, yeah, I think it's a pretty good idea to be nice. Mm -hmm. But to actually watch someone say to someone else, during your training, I want you to consider the fact that you need to be nice. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty important thing. It's a pretty fundamental miss. Whenever you've had 
a failure in a hospitality moment. If you've been a guest at a restaurant or hotel, or uh, you said you used to be in the airline industry, any hospitality failure that goes off the rails can generally be attributed to somebody not being nice. Mm -hmm. Because I don't consider our mistakes that we make with regards to guest services as being the moment when a guest got pissed off at us. Mm -hmm. The moment the guest got pissed off at us is when we made the mistake and became not nice about it. And, and I think it's something that we all really ought to step, step back and, and consider that those two words kind of sum up what we do for a living. You know, and I do mention in the book that, that guests who see us make a mistake are waiting for the next thing to happen, and it's the correction. And I think actually looking at the airline industry that you brought up earlier, those folks that are at the ticket counter or at the at the guest desk, it's, they get the brunt of literally every business traveler's bad news. So the other point is that the guest needs to be nice also, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because I have seen some of the guest service agencies in, in, in the airline industry be so incredibly nice in an inverse proportion to the guest that's talking to them that, you know, I wish I could have worked in the metal. Getting blamed for everything yeah. from the delay at the airport previous that they had no, that they don't even work in, to, uh, to turbulence, to, to wind speed, to anything that has nothing to do with what they do for a living. You've been making me wait for three hours. Yeah, well, I've been making basically everybody on your flight waiting for three hours. But what sets you apart from that guy? You know, but how we react and how we continue to be nice in the face of that is the very essence of hospitality, right? That's that's the definition. It's yeah. hospitable. And, you know, it's funny you're talking about this. There's actually a book on the Southwest Air, uh, Airlines way uh, that's about all about customer service and their success is based off of just creating that, that attitude of just – treating your, your your guests, your passengers nicely and just creating that experience of, like, we're here to serve you and it's all about just being nice. Uh, and Absolutely. Just, yeah, and you can score, you can really turn somebody around. The nicer you are to them, the harder they're going to have of a time being mean to you. Oh, yeah. It's so true. And you, you said, it, like, you know, it's not just you have to be nice, but it's your guests that have to be nice. But you know what? You set that pace. If you come out of the gates super nice, your guests are going to feed off that energy, and it's going to be returned. But you have to be the one to set that tone. And I think we're kind of leading into the next question, Jeff. And that's when I ask you what your it factors are. I mean, you are part of this great restaurant group, but I'm here to, to find out what makes you successful, what your characteristics and habits are that really you think most contribute to your success. So what are your it factors? Well, number one, I surround myself with, with people who know better and do better than I do on a daily basis. Whatever it is I need to get done, I surround myself with the people who know it better than I do and can do it better than I do. Mm. Because I can't do this alone. And I never tried to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think if you asked Mark, he would have a similar viewpoint in that 
he knows what it is he couldn't do, and I helped fill that void. <laughs> yeah, I'd say you're, living, void. you're living proof of that. I mean, he he was in the kitchen. His his strengths, his passions are with the food, but he knew that you are the hospitality guy. You are the guy who loves to serve, and he was so smart in getting you on his team. He knew too that he needs to surround himself with other people who are strong, where where he needs those people to be surrounded to be successful. And I think you guys are just a great example of that. Absolutely, we get along incredibly well, and. And it's because of that, you know. But second, when you surround yourself with people like that, you need to you need to thread the needle and and be willing to listen to them. Mm. And just having them nearby doesn't help. Having them nearby becoming the voice of reason or oftentimes even requesting them to give you the con to your pro makes a huge impact on your life. I mean the number of times I've sat in the room 100% certain I was about to do a deal with somebody, and one of my kind of advisory group would say to me, did you look at it from this angle yet? <laughs> but wait, you know, I haven't yet. That's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, the things that we would have done had it only been for me to make the decision on. And don't be afraid to admit that the number of people that do know better than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the number, it comes from probably the strangest of places and where you least expect it. And, you know, I would imagine on some level, each and every person that works for us, there's something about our business that I don't know. Yeah. And, I, you know, I can't tell you all what all 400 of them is, but, you know, someone knows a better way to do whatever it is we do in my business than I do. Yeah, and, you know, I think part of the, you know, successful characteristics people have or those who are successful is that they are always looking to listen and to find out what they can do better and to be open to change and to be open to, um, you know, improving upon what could be done better. And I think that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, absolutely. um, Don't be afraid to hit reset, you know. uh, And there have been times where we have been, you know. know, We're human. There have been times like, nah, this is going to work. It's going to work. Just just give it time. And like, you look at yourself and you're like, wait a minute. Just because it's not working doesn't mean we failed. The failure is if we try to continue to make it work mm-hmm. in spite of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love it. So so far you've listed that your it factors, your these habits you have are surrounding yourself with great people, your ability to listen to those you surround yourself with. Are there any other it factors you think contribute to your success? Sure. You know, and, and this, is a, this is a tough one because – the ability to take risks and admit failure. Uh, even I, you know, like I just recently said, you know, I'm still human, and it hurts when things don't work out the way you think they're going to work out. But, you know, if you didn't take that leap, if you didn't say to yourself, I think this is going to work, you're going to find yourself constantly saying, I wonder what would have happened. And, uh, you know, we take chances sometimes, and sometimes they're big chances. It's opening a restaurant where you're not entirely sure it's going to work out. Sometimes it's a smaller chance. I'm going to try this menu item tonight. I'm going to do this special. I'm going to, you know, uh, hire this person. But each each one of those things has inherent risk involved. And yeah. if you're not going to take a risk, uh, you were never intended to be self-employed to begin with. Absolutely. I think one of my favorite sayings is, uh, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, it's 25 years ago, but the next best time is right now. And I think a lot of the time, why people... You know, they don't become successful because they don't start. They don't take that risk. And you, you won't ever get anywhere unless you start and take that risk. And um, now, Jeff, I want you to share with us a story 
take one of these it factors, you know, your ability to surround yourself with people, to, your ability to listen and to take risks and to admit failures. Can you think of one time where one of these it factors really just shined through and helped you get to your next level? Wow, that's a, that's a, a big question. <laughs> I, I suspect I'd have a harder time finding things that, you know, when we didn't use these. I mean, with each and every restaurant opening and, you know, each and, each and every deal we actually turned down, there's been something of what we just spoke. Uh, and, you know, so the question was, you know, is there, is there one singular moment or an anecdote that, that, that you can, that you can point to and say, hey, that happened. And because of that, this is, this is why we ended up doing it this way. Yeah, that becomes, that becomes a pretty loaded question. I always tell people the story when it comes to perseverance mm-hmm. and, and when you have a gut feeling, uh, the story about when we opened our second restaurant. Okay. And, um, it's basically this. We were never going to open a second restaurant. Mark and I were doing okay. I mean, we were certainly not going to retire on what we were making, but, um, you know, we were having some fun, um, making a little bit of money. Uh, the restaurant, the first one, it was nine years in, so we were debt-free. You know, it was kind of a nice little time. And actually, a friend had asked us to look at a space to suggest to him who he should put in that. He owned the, he owned the real estate. You know, Mark said to the guy, well, what about us? Why, why, aren't, why are you considering us? He said, well, I'd always heard you guys didn't want to open another restaurant. And Mark said, yeah, we don't, but, you know, it's here. We're looking. It looks kind of cool. Maybe we should think about it. Well, you think about it. And if you want it, you guys can do it here. And, and we decided we did. And we, we had all these plans. And then uh, just because a friend says that you can use their space and you'll cut a deal doesn't mean you're going to cut a deal. So once you started involving the lawyers, it became very clear that we weren't going to make a deal. Mm-hmm. Um Deal's dead, but we really, you know, we, we, it was one of those times where Mark looked at me in the space and said, we could have a lot of fun doing this. I want this deal. So it became more of a passionate plea to get this deal done. But we were back and forth, I mean, literally six months talking to these guys. It was just becoming a waste of time. And it became time, back then, twice a year, we would go to Italy. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we went to visit the, uh, on the west coast of Tuscany, there's an area called Balmary, where Angelo Gaia had, had recently started producing wine. And he, he's a famous wine producer, if you're not familiar, from, from the Piedmont area. He makes, you know, WO great uh, based wines. But down in, in Tuscany, there, they do uh, work basically baby Bordeaux, so lots of Cabernet, Merlot, okay. uh, and Petit uh, So, you know, really, really great. Uh, uh, waterfront property, and he had found one property, the one kind of remaining property that wasn't being uh, operated really and, uh, commercially, and decided he was going to try and get that. And he had a similar thing happen. He went to go take the space, and he, it was owned by a brother and a sister who were in their late 80s. And they planted vines for themselves, but they didn't, you know, they didn't have commercial reason. He negotiated back and forth with them. And said, I, I really want to buy this. They said, no, I really want to buy this. They said, no. And I, Mark and I felt, you know, we read this story on our way over to Italy. Same thing happened to him. And he's Angelo Guy, for God's sake. He shows up. He finally convinces him to rent in this space for 25 years. Okay. He shows up to sign the lease. And the brother and sister said, you know what? We're going to be like 110 when this lease is up. With no heirs. So why don't we just sell it to you? And Angelo said, that's what I've been trying to do all along. <laughs> so he ends up calling his, his vineyard Kamarkanda, which means House of Negotiation. And Mark and I go to the vineyard, and we're standing on a Cabernet field. And this is now, the, the cell phone was relatively new, but we carried them. 
My phone rings, and it's our attorney, Mark's mom, actually, who was our attorney at the time. You aren't going to believe this. Eric's lawyers just called. You can have the deal you wanted. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this, they don't write stuff like this in Hollywood. <laughs> but what it showed was we had some perseverance. We, 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 a little bit of luck, I'd imagine. We worked hard. We really wanted to make something happen. We weren't willing to walk away just because someone told us we had to. And, and a deal was struck, and, and Osteria was born. So which it factor, Jeff, do you, would you say it was that really helped you with this moment of success in your life? Was it your ability to take risk? I mean, what, what was it? With I you think the risk-taking. I think the risk-taking. I mean, I think we probably just hit on another it factor, too. And, and, and that is don't give up. Mm. Awesome, yeah. You never give up. I mean, if you feel like, you know, like Jimmy Valvano, right? You know, if you feel like something is there, you've got the feeling, you've got this thing in your pit in your stomach that says, this is the deal I want, make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most recent restaurant we opened at the Baby Yard yep. was three years in the making. Wow. Every time I visited, it was like, I really think this is the place we should be. Just couldn't make a deal happen. I kept walking away from it. Kept, kind of kept drawing me back. And we finally said, you know what, this is the deal we need. We need to mm-hmm. make this happen. Yeah, you know, and I think you, you make a great point. I think so many times people get into this industry, they open their restaurant, their dream restaurant, and things aren't happening as fast as they want it to. But you know what? It, it doesn't happen overnight. Like your first restaurant, it was nine years before you even decided to open a second location. And, I mean, it, it, things just, you have to persist. You have to keep trying. And I think many times when we quit, we quit just before that tipping point. Um, and I think you are a great... It needs to be organic, right? Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be organic. You can't, you can't force the issue. Mm-hmm. Because if, people will be able to tell. People will be able to look at your restaurant and say, there's no soul here. There's no heart. Mm. Now, do you think it was your passion and your love for the industry that was able to allow you to persist like you did? I think so. You know, I think, um, I think also watching Mark and I feed off each other and then, of course, our... Every new employee that comes in, we feed off their excitement. So it wasn't so much even just my passion. It was the collective passion Mm -hmm. that this deal should get done and we can have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Great story. I want you to do the same thing again. But now we've got to go to a time where in your career where you just fell hard on your ass, Jeff. I'm looking for a failure, a time where it didn't go your way. But we learned the most from our failures. So tell us a failure and then tell us what you took away from this failure. You know, I'm actually kind of currently in the middle of a, of a potential. I mean, it's not a failure, really, but it's um, it's, a, it's a moment of pause. Hit us uh, And I think I've actually had a relatively fortunate, fortunate career so far that in at least the 17 years since the Betri family was started, we haven't had a, like a fundamental failure. You know, a, wow, this thing, we have to close it up, we're going to declare bankruptcy on it. You know. But, you know, I will say that we recently thought, all right, we've got all these concepts. We can we can repeat one of them and open it in a in a different location. And and we did it. And we went in with the. Uh, I would imagine you consider it today hubris. You know, people are already coming to restaurant Osteria. They already love it. It's ultra successful. We'll open another one, and it will just be successful. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the way it works. Yeah. We're Mark and Jeff for that. Right? You know. <laughs> all right. So we open it, and, and as we're opening. Some of our colleagues and even our landlords said, you know, you're opening it in, a, in an area that's not an urban area. It's a suburban area. Uh, sometimes the suburbanites like, like different food. They may like a different speed of service. You might want to consider changing up the menu. I know Osteria's got seven menu, but maybe maybe change it up a little bit. Put, put a little bit more accessible items, maybe some stuff from Amisa on there. Anyway, nope, nope. 
It's so surreal. We know what we're doing. You, you guys stay with the real estate. You guys stay where you are. We know what we're doing. It. Uh, and, and, and we'll be fine. Well, we open it up, and of course, the first several weeks it was busy, because that's generally what happens when we open. Yeah. But we saw it kind of slide a little bit. We're like, well, what's going on? And started to get feedback, you know. Hey, who, you know, I was at your other restaurant, I'm East, and they had this. You need to you serve that at O3. Well, that's not an East, I'm East. No, Sharia, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying it over and over again. And I kept thinking to myself, Gee, I live my life by being adaptable, by listening to others. And here I am, not being adaptable, <laughs> not listening to others. I was going to say, I was like, like I thought you're I was an idiot. Factor. <laughs> so you're saying you're... Yeah, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? So the failure <laughs> so I did is... a long, hard look, and I said, yeah. hey, guys, what if we change the menu? <laughs> <laughs> and as, as we started to introduce menu items that were newer and from other restaurants, and as I started to expand the bar offering, people started to come back in. I'm like... Wow, that took me a little over a year to figure out what an idiot I was. <laughs> awesome. So the it, so the failure was that you know you were getting these warnings, people were telling you, giving you you know their concerns, and you weren't listening. But then what you learned was to go back what you already knew, to go back to that, and to say, hey, like we just need to listen to what we're being told and to, to do something about it. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. It's always there's always somebody that knows more than you, and awesome. that somebody could become the craziest of forms. I mean. It was my landlord for God's sake, mm-hmm. who, who, you know, really didn't have a whole lot of skin in that game other than he'd like to see me be successful so I could pay my rent. I hear you, man. Awesome. Great stuff. Great story. So we have reached the part of the interview, Jeff, where you're just going to drop some big old restaurant bombs of knowledge on us. Are you ready? Sure, I'm going to try. Cool. All right, Jeff. The first question I have for you is what advice do you have for funding a restaurant into getting that initial c- capital to get started? There's, there's a bunch of different avenues. I never claim to have the answer. I have my answer. Uh, so let me start by telling you what I don't do. And, and, and by no means does this mean you shouldn't, but I, I'll, I'll give you the, the why. And it's, you know, a lot of folks go out and they put together a, a syndicated group, you know, maybe five, six, seven groups. We each give a piece of money, you know, 50 grand, 60 grand, whatever it is, yeah. to collect what would become the whole investment. And, and that works, and it's worked for a lot of our friends. But you end up, uh, to a great extent, giving up your ownership shares. Mm. And it, that just never jived with me. Uh, if you choose that route, I would only beg of you to do a few things. Never do it with family. Always, always do diligence on the people who are giving you the money and find out how much of it they can lose without being really pissed off. You know, because you get a guy who gives you 50 grand and it turns out to be his life savings and your restaurant doesn't make it, you're dead and you're out of friend as well. Yeah, exactly. Number three, make, make sure you always retain, if you don't retain financial control, at least retain 100% of the decision-making control. Mm-hmm. You also don't want that $50,000 investor to be the guy who comes in once a week and tells you that he wants to move the menu over here and he wants to put this drink on the menu. That's not why you took that guy's money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've always kind of self-funded. You know, the first first few were done through government back loans. As we got a little more successful, we were able to put up a little collateral and, and take conventional loans. Uh, now, I, you know, now I fund everything through a, through a credit facility. Yeah. Um, it's always worked for us. Uh, I can't say it'll be the way we do it. We have talked to other folks who are like-minded who we would be willing to take money from for a p- portion of our 
company, but it would really it would be a big negotiation because we would still have to retain control. Yeah. So to me, if you wanted to do it my way, go get a loan, pay it back on a on an interest basis. Money is really really cheap right now, uh, and, and, and that's the best way. You don't owe anybody, but but the government, you don't owe mommy and daddy or your aunt Sue, you know. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love it. All right. So the next question I have for you, Jeff, what advice do you have for hiring good people? I mean, what are you looking for and what questions are you asking? So you've got the technical side, right? You're going to ask how much experience they have, where they've worked. Uh, you know, always ask if they can smile or laugh. Mm-hmm. The number of people I look at across the table and say, hey, do you have an easy time laughing? And then completely deadpan, they just look at me and say, yes, I do. <laughs> that that question in of itself is designed to get you to laugh, and, and and we do not take ourselves so seriously. So if I'm sitting across the table from you and I ask you that question and you laugh and say, "Man, I laugh all the time. I laughed on the way here. By the way, I heard a funny joke." Okay, you're hospitable, dude. That's perfect. Now we can teach you some of the technique. But the other thing is. The biggest mistake, especially in our industry, because we need people usually right away. It's like, hey, your server quit yesterday. I need another one tomorrow. Or my line cook walked off the line in the middle of saying, I need someone by Sunday. We often don't do diligence, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, t- you're taking these people and making them the ambassador of your hard work. And you don't do any background checking and you do, don't do any reference checking. The number of times I walk into a restaurant and see someone who may or may not have parted ways with us not so amicably. And I'm thinking, nobody called me from this restaurant to ask, hey, would you hire them back? How were they? You know, and there's certain, you know, I'm sure there's, there's certain legality that you can't share, but the reality is you can at least say no to hire that person back, and it would certainly send a message to the hiring person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the number of folks that we just don't check their, their credentials. You, know, you can write anything you want on a resume, yeah. but... Get to know the person before you hire them. Jeff, do you have a checklist you use? You said, you know, do your due diligence. Is there a checklist or system you use to make sure you cross off all those things that you do to maintain that due diligence? Yes. Uh, we actually have a, uh, a list of first interview questions that need to be asked uh, that were developed over years. So everyone gets asked exactly the same first questions. Okay. Uh, it's in the second interview that we become a little bit more personality-related. Uh, okay. Hey, you know, the same thing you're doing to me, you know. Tell me about a time in your experience where you faced a, an unruly customer. How'd you deal with it? Mm-hmm. What did your management team do to back you up on that? Okay. Did you feel like you were going it alone? Did you feel like you were part of the team? So the checklist starts off with uh, that first round of interviews to make sure they're even qualified, and then you really get to know their personality. What comes next? And then after that, um, we have them work uh, a two-hour shift. You know, we pay them a, a, an hourly rate to kind of work two hours with us on the floor, an hour, yeah. hour usually, just to get to know us, see if they spend, you know, get if they get us. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we'll make them an offer. They spend uh, quite a bit of time training, regardless of where they are in the front of the house. So okay. they can they can work as much as a week just trailing another server All right. as a back waiter. And then that server who they were who they were trailing will oftentimes trail them for the following week. And after that time, we all sit down. Hey, you like it here? Do you like you know, we, we like you? Do you like us? I'm a big fan of asking someone if they think they're going to fit. Mm. Because you don't want to put someone in that opposition of, hey, you know, I took the job. And I went through the training. I really don't like it. The man that went through all this time, you know, training me. They would say, hey, you like it here? You having fun? You, you know, typically you would know if they didn't. Uh, yeah, and it kind of goes back. people who... 
who are gaining generally know when, when, when they're ready to move to the next level. Yeah, and it goes back to that it factor that you have of listening. I think so many times we don't take the time to listen to the people to find out maybe we're doing something wrong. Or maybe we're just not, you know, you, you take that time to find out, uh, to listen to see what you can do to do it better and to see if it's, you know, I think listening is just a huge part of that that two-way street of making sure things are a right match. So awesome stuff. All right. The next question I have for you, Jeff, is when you find these incredible people, I mean, what do you do to keep them on your team? It's no secret that retention in this industry is hard. So how do you keep these valuable team members? You know, I, I, I wish I could say that it's a hundred percent what we do. I mean, I think, uh, especially in the front of the house, when you have a successful restaurant and there's money to be made, they'll stick around. But as I started this conversation with you, money's not the only motivator. Mm. There are many servers who would not work in, in, in a higher tip environment if they were miserable. Mm-hmm. So that's just part of it. Yeah, so they're going to make a little bit of money. Once they've checked that off their list, do I like coming to this place? Mm-hmm. And it's surrounding them. Look, they're part, of the, they're part of the final leg of the process of hiring their colleagues, right? They get to train them. So now they get to be fully vested in hiring the folks they're going to work with. So that's number two, surrounding them, just like I surround myself with people I like mm. and, and trust. We surround them with people they can like and trust. That's that's two. Three, when it, in the chance that they're not surrounded by someone that they like and trust or, or something didn't go correct, uh, you know, we were and maybe, maybe we made it that higher, I give them the opportunity to come talk to me about it. Mm. So we have an open-door policy in the company. That, that's three. In addition, though, it's, it's the ancillary benefits. Uh, we've been offering health insurance to our employees since the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So long, long before it was a mandate, we thought we should be mandated to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a retirement plan that's pretty robust as well. So the other thing that that does, in addition to enticing you to stay in, in today's environment when you're required to have insurance, you might as well find a job that offers a good one. But it also shows you that we care. Mm-hmm. So as an employee, even if you don't take the insurance plan or you're not on my 401k, you say, man, well, these guys went out of their way to do that for us. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just sends a good message regardless. Mm-hmm. It also tells everybody not in our business that these are folks who work for with nobility. Mm-hmm. This could be a career. You can stay with me for 20 years if you wanted to. Make a good living, have insurance, apply for your family. And not have to think, you know, in terms of like the 70s and 80s, when, well, maybe we weren't looked at that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have a job with, uh, with, with ability and integrity, you're going to enjoy going to work every day. Awesome. Great advice. So you sound clearly like a well-read person. I'm sure you have a huge library of books you've gone through to contribute to your success. So what's one book, a must-read, whether it be a personal growth book or just a restaurant business book or just a business book in general that you think is a must-read for anybody who wants to be successful in this industry or maybe even your own book? Well, I was just going to say, can I be self-serving? Take Son of the House by Jeff Benjamin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, ask, you know, tell us about it. Aside from that, you know, and I think uh, – you know, the, the Collins books, the, um, the Going From Good to Great, um, and then his follow-up to that, Great by Choice, uh, were, were two uh, life-changing books to me. Good to uh, Great and Great also by a writer, Choice? I, Is that what I heard? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then I also mentioned in my, in my book, there's a, there's a guy who writes uh, what he calls a business fiction. And I think it's, you know, it's actually right up the alley of the kind of questioning you've been doing to me with the storytelling. His name is Patrick Lencioni. Uh, and he writes books that have business lessons and business uh, kind of uh, attitudes in them, but they're all fiction. Mm-hmm. 
and, and it puts, puts people in situations uh, in his fiction books that you then end up finishing the book saying, wow, I can relate to that situation. Um, the one I just finished reading and I quote in the book is, is called uh, Death by Meeting. Mm-hmm. And I actually bought the book thinking that it was going to be it was a teach me to not have so many meetings, but what it, what it was teaching me was to not have so many unproductive meetings. Meetings are fine. Meetings are good. Yeah. Okay. But don't make them so unproductive. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So those two books you mentioned in the beginning, uh, good to great and choose to be great. What's one lesson that you is like the biggest takeaway from both those books? One of the, I think it was in Great by Choice where he talks about the theory of, uh, well, actually, both books, he, he uses similar theories to each other. It, it is clearly a sequel book. It's not, you kind of had to read both. Okay. Um, but he talk, talks a lot about shooting bullets and then shooting cannons. Okay. And, you know, it, it, the direct result of shooting one big cannonball versus shooting lots of little bullets, uh, you know you know that the analogy would be, you know, you're taking lots of chances, and, and, and a good chance you'll probably hit something. Mm-hmm. And if you shoot one big giant cannonball at one big target, yeah, you'll probably hit that target. But, you know, what, then, then what, to what effect and to what extent? So is the message to, you know, to you focus know, and to really pick something that matters to you and to put all of yourself into that one thing? The real message is actually to do a healthy balance of both, to be okay. honest with you. You pick one thing and, and be unifocused. You're also not letting the light in on anything else. Okay. So you're being completely closed-minded. Yeah. But if you if you opt to totally shoot bullets only and you take a lot of shots, there's a, there's a good chance you're going to hit. You're going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. So remaining focused, going after that one thing, knowing that you may have to let a little light in as well. Though you know it's good balance. You got to awesome. stay balanced. Great. I'll have to check both those books out. And uh, that third book you mentioned. Both was... those books are really really phenomenal books. And what was that third book? Death by Meeting. Okay, and then your book was. Front of the house. Front of the house. All right, those will all be in the show notes. Thank you for sharing them with us. All right, so if there's one piece of marketing advice that you could give us, just one big uh, cannonball marketing advice, what would you say it would be? Do not ever suffer an identity crisis. <laughs> okay, what do you <laughs> mean by market, that? Market, your, market yourself as who you are. Oh, I love it. You know, just like I said earlier, your growth needs to be organic, and it has to happen because it was meant to happen, and you helped create that. You nurtured it. You planted that tree 25 years ago, but you continued to water it, and you continued to, 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 to nurture it. Similarly, your marketing message can't be a confusing, all-over-the-place, uh, lack-of-identity-laden kind of piece of drivel. I think that's great. You need to get out there in front of what you want to say, say it clearly, say it loudly, say it to the right people, get in front of the right audience, and make it, and make it true. Awesome. I mean, how much of a part of the, the Venture restaurants are a part of you and Mark and the other partners you have? Is it an extension of, you think, yourselves as individuals? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, no doubt. I mean, I, I, think, I think the restaurants themselves have personality. But if you, actually, if you, if you follow any of our chefs on social media, mm. you'll know the day you meet them exactly how they're going to be towards you. Because what you see on their Twitter feeds and their Instagram is exactly who they are. 
Awesome. It's 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 way easier to be yourself than it is to try to to try to act like a concept or an idea. You, I mean, if you make your restaurant yourself, it's just so much easier to be yourself. It's awesome advice. Great stuff. Yeah. All right. You can't fake it. You can't yeah. fake it. So true. Okay, the next question I have for you is on the topic of technologies. I mean, we live in, in an era today where there's just new technologies coming out every day that we can use to leverage the product up the productivity, the efficiency, and the, the profitability of our restaurants. So are there any tools that really caught your attention over at the Vetri restaurants that really, like, you're just using front of house, back of house to leverage your profitability and your efficiency? Yeah, and more and more lately. Um, you know, I, I, our, our industry in and of itself never lent itself early on to the technology boom because, you know, we, we can't fall victim to e-commerce, right? You mm-hmm. can't virtually enjoy my restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one of the things that I kind of shied away from. And typically the folks in my position who've been in my position since the late 90s, we're not really tech savvy. So, you know, folks would show up with something that was designed to create an efficiency for us or make our jobs a little easier, and we shied away from it. Um, but, you know, as we, as we enter the, you know, as we, that we've been in this millennium for, for 15 years, you know, there's tons of great items out there for, I mean, look, even the point of sale, uh, apps that we have you know everything can be done via app uh we get we're implementing a, a program that's been around for years and all my colleagues even called Avero, which will help us to analyze the data and the data will be downloaded immediately to my uh iphone every night mm. before i go to bed i'll know exactly in real time how all the restaurants are performing and i can drill down to even at the server level so I know how this restaurant's doing. I know how the individual servers in the restaurant are doing. I know when the last time they opened a check or closed a check, how many times they boarded a check, right at my fingertips. And it just makes me more knowledgeable. It keeps me in, in, plugged in. How are you uh, using this knowledge to make decisions? Well, you know, it, uh, it will help us, A, with, with staffing levels. It'll also help us with menu choice. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I can look at these things and see at a moment's notice, man, you notice after 9 o'clock we don't sell a single one of this item? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? What, what's going on after 9 o'clock? Or do you know that never on Sundays do we sell this sandwich? What's our Sunday crowd demographic? What are we doing? Should we run a special? Should we pull it off the menu? Should we move to a different place on the menu? You know? Um, so would you say so the, it informs the pretty big, much every decision. So the, the biggest benefit of a, a resource like Avero is your ability to gain knowledge to make the right decisions? Yeah. Awesome. And, and make the right decision quicker. Yeah. Um, so are there any other tools that you're leveraging aside from Avero? You know, I think OpenTable uh, you know, has some great benefits. There's a new product out that we're kind of test driving now called Venga that will sit on top of OpenTable. Similarly, as Avero does with Aloha. Uh, and kind of uh, distills your guest information even further than Open Table does, uh, which we're gonna. I, I don't know. I haven't fully vetted yet, but it seems like it, at minimum the idea is correct. Mm-hmm. Where just like with my menu items, I want to get more information. I want to get it in real time. I want to know what my customers are thinking. I want to know why they chose what they chose. I want to know. Typically, okay, so Monday night that, that sandwich wasn't selling. Hey, did you notice that on Monday nights, every single one of my customers that came in last week was from 
this area code? Is that something they don't need in this area code? I don't know. I see. But, yeah, yeah, I've got yeah. that information. In Interesting. Yeah, man. We love, we love guest information. Great. Awesome. Knowledge is power. So the next question I have for you, if you could go back in time to like 1988 when you're joining forces with Mark, if you could just give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Wow, you know, I, 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 and, and this is the reason why this is a tough question is because I, I really fully believe that at least as it relates to my relationship with Mark and the Veterinary Family uh, Restaurants, I don't know that I, I, I can actually tell you full, fully I would not have done a single thing differently. Awesome. Um, you know, I, I've, I've enjoyed this ride so much. Um, I wouldn't have asked Mark to do anything sooner or wait longer on anything else. I wouldn't have... Uh, you know, I wouldn't have said no at first and driven a harder bargain. You know, it was it all it happened exactly the way I would like it to have happened. I, I, you know, I know that people would want to hear a different story than that, but the honest truth is, I've got 17 years of pretty much no regret. And just to recap what you've done, I mean, what you did is you, you partnered with somebody who was extremely passionate, who had the, I mean, you were the front of house, he was the back of the house. You guys listened, you guys took your time, you enjoyed your work, you made it fun. I mean, and those are the things I remember you saying that you did that I think, and I think you would agree with me, have contributed to your success. I think the next 17 years are going to probably be just as exciting. I've got some pretty cool deals in the works right now. We've expanded quite a bit. Like you said, we're at seven. We're going on eight restaurants as of the end of May. Um, I've got two more in the hopper. I never, I never thought I'd be sitting talking to anybody about my 10 restaurants at the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. But now I'm at the point where I've actually suspended all disbelief with regards to our growth. I used to say, okay, well, fine. 10 will be it. 10 will be it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is I, I don't think we're at it. I don't think we're remotely close to it yet. Um, mm. You know, I think there's a relatively decent chance, you know, we'll, we'll double again. Soon. Awesome. So, I, yeah, I, and I used to not think that. <laughs> I have to ask, and uh, I think this kind of goes back into how you uh, do your employee retention. I mean, you have all these restaurants. Would you say that one of the reasons why people stay with you is because you provide the opportunity for growth? I mean, how much inside promotion do you do? Almost 100%. I think um, that is awesome. Cur- currently, everybody who reports directly to me or Mark is in probably their third or fourth position with us. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. Um, um, and that's actually one of the reasons why we originally looked for new restaurants was so that we didn't have these chefs leave us and go to work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the two direct reports I have in terms of operations right now both started off as servers with me, mm-hmm. and they're both vice presidents of operations currently. That's good. you know, and I, I, I think that'll continue. Mark's Mark's two closest culinary folks are now partners of ours, and both started off as line cooks with us. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I think one of the, the biggest lessons I've taken away from doing these interviews is that you know. If you can be the means to someone else's dreams and you really want that growth, if you invest in growing other people and helping them achieve their dreams, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you say it's all about being nice, but it's about being nice to your people and trying to uh, make it more than just a job in a career, in a, a happy lifestyle for everyone. Correct. We um, And actually, in our review, our annual review that we do, and we talk about guest service and how you are with your guests. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I tell people is that I consider our employees their guests as well. Mm. Great you know, stuff. And the first time they interviewed me, I say that, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, think about it this way. You know, 
uh, first off, we, we encourage them to eat there, so they are often very literally our guests. Mm-hmm. But how you treat them and how you treat each other is how you should be treating our guests. So they are, in fact, a guest of yours. They're in your home. Mm-hmm. So if you're a GM and you have a server, they're in the home that I've entrusted you to. So therefore, they're a guest in your home. No. So treat them that way. And I think in, in all ways, you guys, you call your restaurant group a family, and I think that's really what it is. It sounds like you guys, you know, it's, it's your home. And these people that came in as your guests, you invest in them, they become a, a part of your restaurant group. Now they're your family members. You're, they're your, your brothers and sisters, and it's that's what it sounds like. It's really cool. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been such a great ride. Yeah, so those are all the questions I have for you. Uh, we are going to wrap it up um, by just having you just, I guess, call somebody out. Who's one restaurant professional you admire and think would make a great guest on the show? Wow, you know, I got to tell you, and if, there's a reason why this just became a tough question. Once a year, me and several of my colleagues, my, my counterparts around the country get together for, for three days. And we do it because it's, it was born out of uh, Mark, Mark uh, and all of his chef colleagues. Always did all these events together. They always got to see each other. And me and a couple of my counterparts and my counterparts said, we never, we never get to do this stuff. Let's do this. So we, we made it happen. And we just finished that, that meeting uh, two days ago mm-hmm. for this year. And so I just spent three full days with all the people I would call out. Um, you know, so to, to pick just one is, is going to be a difficult thing. <laughs> um, but I would say, can I can I pick a few? You can pick as many. As, do that? Hey, man, I'm not going to stop you. You tell you you pick as many people as you want. <laughs> Let me tell you, the people who were in that group were uh, the operations team from the John Besh group in New Orleans. So Octavio, Emery, and Lauren, they're just awesome people. Emery, who was just promoted to chief operating officer of the Besh group, just an innovator, someone you really ought to have on the show at some point. Uh, we had uh, the chief operating officer from Barbara Lynch's group, Jeff Macklin. I had the executive vice president of Holy Garces group, Rob Ketty, with me. Um, I had uh, Angela Stoll, who's actually the wife and business partner of Ethan Stoll Restaurants in uh, in Seattle. And Shelly Lindgren from uh, A16. Uh, we had a guest speaker who was incredible, David Swinghammer, a co-founder of Shake Shack, okay. uh, who was just incredibly uh, uh, informative to all of us. Wow. Uh, and then we had um, we had the management team from One Off Hospitality in Chicago, which is Paul Kahn and Donnie Medea's group. Uh, Kimberly was just been a, a part of it. She actually hosted the first year we did it three years ago. Oh, wow. So uh, cool. I think that's a great group of people. Any one of them would benefit from, uh, cool. benefit from having any one of them. All the folks Jeff just mentioned, look out, I'm coming after you. I've got my work cut out for me, but it's going to be well worth it because, I mean, I could only imagine the wealth of knowledge we could gather from all of those individuals. And, uh, Jeff, I almost forgot to ask you, if there is one question I could have asked you to add more value to this interview, what would it have been? Wow, it was a pretty succinct interview. I mean, I like, I like the fact that you asked about failures as well as success. Thank you. So I think if you hadn't asked me, that would be the first thing I want to ask you. Um, you know, and I don't have an answer to this, but one of the things that I hear other people ask a lot, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? <laughs> so what would you be doing, um, Jeff? I like academia quite a bit, and I can envision myself at some point being on a college campus. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I enjoyed writing that book, but 
the idea of lecturing people about the contents of that book really is appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd be a teacher or a professor if I could do it. I think it's funny that you say that because I think in many ways people in this industry, at least the successful ones, are teachers. And that's why they are successful because you do that every day. And I think the the growth of your restaurant group is living proof of that. I mean, you, you formed these people. You made their dreams come true and you gave them the skills to do that. So you should be very, um, you know humble or i don't know what to say but you should you should know that i think you're doing just that thank you Appreciate no problem it. so i guess i'll i'll let you let the folks at home know how can we connect with you uh if we want to come work for you is there an email address you want to leave or a twitter handle where we can get in, in contact to maybe take the conversation further uh hit us with it sure i'm uh, i'm jeff b at vetri family and i am rk benji on twitter all right. Thank you so much, Jeff Benjamin. You are incredible. We are over an hour now since we've been talking. I'm so sorry, but you just had so much stuff going. I didn't want to cut you off. Um, man, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a good one. Another episode wrapped up, and it was an awesome one. Thank you so much, Jeff. You just killed it. Such valuable advice. I have to admit, I have not read your book yet, but after speaking to you, I am a chomping at the bit to go out and get it so i am looking forward to that if you guys found value in this episode please feel free to email me eric at restaurantunstoppable.com and tell me who else you think would make an incredible guest on the show i will do everything humanly possible to get them on the show for you and all of the tools and books and everything we've learned about here these interviews can be found at www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash tools or .com slash books. It's a list, complete list of all the references of what everyone that we're interviewing is using and what works. So check that out. Uh, look at these tools that will make your life better and look at those books. They will make you more knowledgeable so you can have that unstoppable restaurant life you've always been looking for. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening in. Until next time, peace out.